It's contest time for all of our listeners in North America. Last month, we gave away DVDs to our listeners in Europe. So here's what you need to do. Between March 8th and March 21st, make sure you're following us on either Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And to every day, retweet or repost something from the Comics in Motion feed using the hashtag Section 12. You can retweet or repost as many times as you want between March 8th and March 21st. And at the end of that time, two winners will be drawn at random to earn free comics from our greatest sponsor ever, Lenovations Press. Follow, retweet, hashtag Section 12. Good luck. Classic Comics, everyone. My name is Matthew B. Lloyd, and I will be your guide as we explore the world of comics before the advent of the Silver Age. Thanks for tuning in to the Comics in Motion Network. We've got a lot of great shows for you, and I can't tell you how excited I am to share this episode with you. I'm doing something a little different today. I am actually recording outside. We've had so much rain here in North Carolina that it's nice to finally have a sunny day that's warm enough to go sit outside. So I am actually coming to you from a sunny porch in the afternoon instead of a cold, rainy, winter-like day. Despite it not actually being spring yet. So on this lovely day outside, we are going to cover a new character we haven't talked about, obviously, called Miss Fury. Miss Fury originally ran as a newspaper strip from April 6, 1941 until 1952. It was uh, only on Sundays, so it had a full Sunday page format, and it lasted about 11 years. For the first seven months of the strip, it was called Black Fury, and there's an actual uh, in-story reason for the name change. Miss Fury is ostensibly a, a superhero character, but the strip is not relegated to that, that single genre. Over the course of the strip, we're going to see romance, political intrigue, and international adventure. As I was preparing this episode, it occurred to me that this is, uh, is going to be a, a little different. This is, uh, is going to have a little bit in common with the Catman episode, but it, it, it still even feels different from that. Uh, with, with Catman, I read a collection of a character with whom I was only vaguely familiar. Uh, that episode felt more like an academic analysis exploration. Uh, this episode you're listening to right now, to me, feels more like a, a reaction review. And it's not only in a like-dislike way, but in a technical way as well. I, I suppose it boils down to sophistication of the, of the, the properties between... Uh, this and Catman. Now, now Catman had a number of interesting points to explore, but but Miss Fury seems like a much larger task. There's a lot more going on in this strip. 
and it's not simply uh, this episode. We're not simply giving a, a, a primer on the character, but but because there's so many elements that are worthy: the writing, the art, the storytelling, the uniqueness of the strip itself. It almost feels a little overwhelming. Uh, as I was preparing this, I was trying to uh, compare it to something, and it's sort of like trying to sum up Watchmen uh, in a you know a five-minute uh, synopsis, which would be very difficult. There's so much that goes on in that in that book, and there's so much that's going on in in Miss Fury because it's a it's a it's a long you know 11 year journey now now we're not doing the whole 11 years obviously but uh i've got about half of it uh that we're gonna take a look at and, and go through as well as some other stuff uh and miss fury is obviously not nearly as groundbreaking of course as Watchmen, but it, it does feel like a similar ta challenge to to boil down and cover so much information and stuff into a uh a single episode that's coherent and uh, effective and on top of that this is the first time I've ever read anything of, of the character uh, I have of course heard of her and seen pictures but it's the first time I've read it and in that sense it's different because the quality of the strip ends up eliciting a more uh, reaction review approach and it's it's nice to feel surprised i i uh I'd, I'd seen this character you know in the comic book price guide growing up in years and seen her here and there in uh covers and and that kind of thing and always had a vague uh idea of what she was about and always had a a slight interest but but for whatever reason, I saw, I don't know, what was it I saw recently that made me think I should go after this character for an episode? I, it had to be something, just going through the price guide or looking at some of the other stuff, and she just popped up. And uh, I thought, do they have any reprints of the uh, original strips that are, you know, currently available at a, a reasonable price? And... We'll get to the uh, a little bit about the actual book I was reading uh, down the line, but we're going to have to get into uh, something about the creator of this strip. Uh, uh, she was created by June Tarpe Mills, and if I'm mispronouncing that middle name incorrectly, I apologize. I haven't seen a pronunciation of it, but there is an accent on it as it's written, so I'm presuming it's Tarpe. So, June Tarpe Mills. And this is one of the really interesting and historically significant aspects of this subject. Miss Fury is the first superhero female created and produced by a female creator. And I went on to Wikipedia to learn a little bit more about her. And I'm going to share what I found here. Mills was born 25 February 1918 in Brooklyn, New York. She worked as a model while helping to support her deceased sister's children and her widowed mother along with her uh, following her academic studies. She attended Erasmus Hall High School in New York in Brooklyn, New York, and she received her higher education at the Pratt Institute also in New York. Mills' professional career began as a fashion illustrator. 
She also created several action comics characters, not not in action comics, the title, but just you know, action adventure characters. Uh, the strips were called Devil's Dust, The Catman, not the same Catman, uh, The Purple Zombie, and Daredevil Barry Finn, obviously not the same Daredevil. Uh, she did these before creating Miss Fury in 1941. She also wrote original scripts, penciled and ink stories for these comic book series prior to Miss Fury, including titles such as The Funny Pages, Star Comics, Amazing Mystery Funnies, Amazing Man Comics, Masked Marvel, Prize Comics, Tar Target Comics, and Regular Fellers Heroic Comics. Miss Fury ran until 1952 when Tarpe Mills mostly retired from the comics industry. She briefly, yeah, she briefly returned in 1971 with Our Love Story for Marvel, and in 1979 began work on a Miss Fury graphic novel which would remain unfinished. She died uh, 12 December 1988 in Brooklyn, New York, and is buried in Forest Green Park Cemetery in Morganville, New Jersey. Uh, June Tarpe Mills was inducted into the Comic-Con Eisner Hall of Fame on July 19, 2019. Now, there you have a lot about a creator you've probably never heard of. Uh, and you've probably never heard of Miss Fury, either. So, as I said, a lot of information to take in right out of the gate. So, let's start getting into Miss Fury itself. And... We're going to go through a uh, a list of uh, some of the characters here. There's, there's quite a, a large list, but there's a few main characters that we're going to uh, go through. So, starting off, we have uh, the lead. Her name is Marla Drake. She is a New York City socialite. She has a faithful driver and an... Uh, personal assistant slash maid and then we have Gary Hale who is initially in the strip Marla's fiance who is another New York City socialite we have Dan Carey a New York City police detective who ends up as another love interest for Marla and what plays out as a classic love triangle and on the other side of things we have General Bruno a German uh, general uh, a Nazi and Baroness von Kampf a German national who is uh when we first meet her living in New York. And then once the action moves to South America, the cast of characters uh, grows even more, but we don't really lose anyone. The, uh, the action all sort of moves to South America as well, which is, which is pretty interesting when you think about it. But like I said, international adventure and intrigue is part of the strip. Now the first Sunday page of Miss Fury like I said, originally Black Fury, begins with our heroine Marla Drake getting ready for a costume party. She can't come to a decision on what to wear, and her maid suggests wearing the black leopard skin left to her by her uncle. Now that's pretty wild right there to think about. Who leaves a leopard skin to their niece? Marla responds saying that it was a ceremonial robe worn by an African witch doctor. She ends up trying it on and decides to go ahead and wear it, for the party. It's all black with a Batman style cowl, no cape in this first appearance, and it covers her body like a, a cat suit complete with tail. Her fingers remain uncovered. 
She drives off to the party but never makes it. Along the way, she gets embroiled in a crime that ends up capturing the bad guy and leaving him bound and gagged for the police detective. Throughout, Marla is shown to be strong, confident, capable, and effective. She gets some unwanted publicity in the paper from this, and in the same uh, column that they show in, the news, in this newspaper story, there are two other storylines are, are introduced. Uh, one of the surprising turns the strip takes early on is Marla's reluctance to wear the leopard skin. It's sort of strange that she loses it fairly quickly, and a good part of the strip relies on elements beyond any type of classic superhero hearing. So, she has to stash the, uh, the costume at one point on a, on a balcony at uh, someone's uh, New York City apartment, and it turns out that it's actually the Baroness von Kampf we mentioned earlier. So, she's unable to go back and get it, nor is she able to send her, uh, her driver to go back and get it. Uh, when he tries, it's already been uh, picked up. So somebody's got the, uh, got this this costume, uh, and so she has to wear a fake costume to try and track down the imposter, Black Fury, who is wearing the real costume. It's not easy for Marla as she ends up uh, after a struggle. Uh, she she manages to stop him, but in the ensuing uh, in the in the battle, she ends up falling. Uh, and lying in an air shaft for at least a day with a broken arm and she's barely able to move. So she does what uh, she has to do to stop the guy. The police find him, uh, unmask him, uh, etc. But she's nowhere to be found. Uh, it's her driver, Cappy, that's his name, who uh, ends up finding her because he and her, uh, her assistant, uh, Francine, are the only ones that know about her identity as the Black Fury. So they know that the real Black Fury hasn't been caught uh, and that that's just an imposter who had the real costume. So they know that Marla's out there somewhere. They were in on her uh, her fake uh, her fake costume in order to, to go find the real I'm sorry, to find the real costume worn by the imposter Black Fury. Now, this is... Uh, the situation in the strip where we get the uh, name change uh, from Black Fury to Miss Fury. The imposter believes he's revealing the name of the Black Fury to the police. Uh, because of Marlowe's loss of the costume, the fellow believes that Baroness Erica von Kampf is the real Black Fury, and he calls her Miss Black Fury. The police pick up on this, and with the next Sunday page, the strip is retitled Miss Fury. Gary Hale, her, her fiancé, attempts to call on Marla after her rescue, and he misinterprets Marla's actions. She's injured and in pain, and of course she's trying not to uh, give away what's happened so he doesn't have more questions about how she got hurt, etc. She's trying to keep her identity secret, but not so much for a... Um, uh, you know, protecting herself or, or protecting her... The people around her, like characters usually do with uh, secret identities, but instead it's to prevent her from being exposed and possibly being indicted in uh, crimes that this imposter Black Fury has uh, committed. So she's injured and in pain, and at one point Gary grabs her injured arm and she has to try and shield the pain she's feeling, but Gary reads it as disgust with him. 
Marla is not only hurting physically, but emotionally distracted by the fear that her identity may be uncovered. It's different because she's not worried about her identity in the traditional superhero sense, but rather the crimes for which she may be indicted. Despite exposing the imposter who killed a man, there are other minor incidents for which she could be charged with. Gary lets all this get him get to him rather quickly, and he takes off to South America. So he's upset. He's uh he's thinking that Marla wants nothing to do with him, and he takes off to South America. I guess that's something one did in those days when they got uh, rejected by a. a uh, a lover. Now, we, we haven't talked about his two separate storylines that have been going on concurrently with with the strip at the same time as uh, Marla is trying to capture this false uh, this false Black Fury. There's also a storyline with uh, a chemical that will make all metal disintegrate, and the uh, the Nazis are trying to get that, and there is also a uh, another storyline with some political intrigue with uh, South America as well that brought its way to uh, New York City. And we'll see the uh, we'll see that these things end up being a part of the strip as we head to South America because now with Gary heading off, the the strip really begins to to sprawl and it takes on more of a uh, Terry and the Pirates kind of feel as uh, at this point instead of being more of a uh, straight superhero strip. So these two new storylines intertwine uh, with Marla's and we get the introduction of some foreign characters who will take Marla's adventures to South America. Well, it may seem too coincidental that Erica Von Kamp pops up in Rio de Janeiro. We already saw her leave New York City earlier in the uh, other storyline, it comes off rather naturally. Uh, this is about four months since her last appearance in the strip. This is something that news strips do rather well. They have to be able to find ways of reintroducing familiar characters, whether friends or enemies. This is something, you know, familiar with all comics that have long lifespans. We, we, we keep seeing the characters return and, and such, but newspaper strips often feel like one long narrative that just goes on and on and on instead of episodic stories that have uh, no larger context and and this is this is that that kind of thing we we really feel like this is Marla's life and it's just sort of going out of control after she finds the the not finds but after she decides to put on the the leopard skin for the first time and go out as Miss Fury that that first uh, night to the party she that decision makes everything else that happens uh, possible or rather it drives everything that happens next because without that decision to wear uh, it's not none of this stuff ever would happen uh, so this type of storytelling requires a particular approach as the writer and artist or writer artist in this case has to keep the reader up to speed with each installment uh miss fury is only a sunday strip and something i really didn't mention i don't think when doing the terry and the pirates episode the difference in dailies uh versus sundays but 
for example, early on in, in the life of the Terry and the Pirate Strip, the dailies told one story and the Sunday pages told a different story. It might seem kind of strange, but that was not uncommon at the time. And then after a period, they all began to tell the same story. So what Kenneth would do on Terry and the Pirates is he'd have to find a way of recapping what had happened during the week for those people that only got Terry and the Pirates on Sunday. And that seems kind of strange, but... There were strips like that that you might get. Uh, you might have newspapers that carried a strip every day of the week, including a Sunday, or you might have uh, a newspaper that only carried it on Sundays. So you had to have a way of keeping the reader uh, up to speed on what was going on. So uh, Mills with Miss Fury is is in that situation. She's only doing a Sunday. And because she's only doing a Sunday, you have to be able to re- she has to be able to recap what happened previously kind of quickly to clue the reader back in, oh, where are we? So she can pick back up and, and go right into the next bit without too much recap, but at the same time having enough so the reader isn't lost. And at this point, you can see how she uses the first panel for a bit of dialogue with uh, – with the logo of the strip uh, in that first panel to catch the reader up, and it works pretty well. Uh, And, of course, there's a big difference in reading the strips in large chunks, as I've done, as opposed to reading each page separated by a a week. It it makes one wonder if kids would keep entire newspaper sections from the Sunday paper or even daily papers and sit and reread strips for a bigger reading chunk. Perhaps the uh, first example of a... The first example of comic readers waiting for the trade. So, just to give an example of how this story progresses, and to see the complexity of what Mills is doing, let's see what happens after Gary Hale goes to South America. Now, he ends up getting wrapped up in the uh, intrigue with uh, which Von Kampf is embroiled. Uh, back in New York City, Marla is still recovering and is visited repeatedly by Detective Dan Carey. She thinks it's Gary, though, because she's kind of out of it still in her recovery, and Francine won't let him in to see her. Marla just gets bits and pieces as she recovers and tries to get her her emotions together. Gary ends up falling for Von Kampf, while Dan Carey ends up falling for Marla. Now, Marla doesn't quite understand, though, and Dan helps Marla find out where Gary has gone. Marla wants to find him and explain herself. She still feels like she's been misunderstood, and she's, uh, this is her fiancé, and he, she has no idea that he's uh, uh, falling for Von Kampf. Now, not only does uh, he fall for Von Kampf, they actually plan to get married. And that's kind of where Marla comes in. So Dan Carey uses his connections to, to help Marla. And when Marla arrives in South America, she discovers by, by chance that she stumbled into the hotel that is hosting the wedding of Gary Hale and Baroness von Kampf. She is distraught. She ends up, she goes outside, kind of wandering around, and she ends up coming across a lynching. So they're about to string somebody up. The, the 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 Brazilians. She she stops it, not realizing the man being lynched is General Bruno, a Nazi who is organizing a fifth column in Brazil. So, fifth column for for those of you who don't familiar with the term 
it's a you know it's a subversive uh, organiz- group in a in a country uh, planning to try to take down the the government uh, from the inside, and they are a uh, in this case Nazis, but it could be any foreign power inserting uh, a group of uh, insurrectionists in to try and uh, bring down the the country and make it ripe for uh, invasion by that by that same country. Of course, there was a a lot of fifth column uh, going on in the uh, United States during World War II with the Nazis and such, and we had uh, plenty written about that and uh, these types of stories back then. And because Marla saves this guy, she herself is mistaken for a Nazi by the Brazilian government, and she ends up being being mistaken for a Nazi by the Brazilian government, and... As Bruno escapes, he ends up taking Marla and captures uh, her. Uh, and uh, as she is being held by Bruno, uh, you know, she overhears just a little bit of what's going on. But then, in a, in a real bizarre turn of events, Marla is, quote, rescued by. Era, uh, the female leader of a Brazilian resistance group. This is June 1942, and we see the strip uh, beginning to reflect some real-world events, uh, with World War II uh, informing a lot of what's going on here. Now, Era takes Marla back to their camp at gunpoint, thinking she's got a Nazi spy. Now, there are other natives there, but also a former British flyer who's been deemed 4F by the uh, uh, Royal Air Force. And then there's an interesting develop that, uh, an interesting dynamic that, that Mills develops here. Marla is essentially lost. She's just, you know, being drugged around the, the Brazilian forests. Uh, one of the men, Chico, in the camp, though, falls for her. But Era is in love with him, and the flyer is in love with Era. So there's a, a four person, not even a love triangle anymore, just a four person uh, mess. Uh, eventually, Marla gains everyone's trust uh, that she's not a Nazi, but Era always has one eye on her because she believes that she, she's out to steal Chico. Uh, it sounds like a mess, and it is a bit. It sounds like it right now, but when reading it, it's it's a really engaging tapestry of, of life, and it, it feels like these are, you know, real people reacting as they would, you know, with the backdrop of World War II uh, going on, these people are still caught up in the emotions of being human, love, jealousy, confusion. It's, uh, it, it's very engaging. I mean, the, uh, the strip really uses the characters well to, 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 to make it, to make it interesting. It's, it's not a, you know, simple good guys versus bad guys. Even our, our main character is, you know, mistaken for um, a bad guy a couple times by the neat police department, by the Brazilians thinking she's a Nazi. It's not a, it's not a straightforward uh, black and white strip at all, and that's one of the really interesting things about it. So, surprisingly, uh, we really haven't talked about it yet, but. Marla hasn't worn the the costume, the black leopard costume, for a long time. If you if you believe if you 
if you followed along, we haven't had to talk about her uh, in costume. So she hasn't worn it, any costume, since the night that she went out and stopped the, uh, the imposter. It's August 1942 now. Marla finally ends up donning the black leopard costume again on August 16, 1942, the first time since she wore it, the imitation costume, back in December 1941 when she stopped the imposter. So it's been almost a year. Uh, clearly, Mills isn't interested in the superheroics as much as she is the personal relationships and the international adventure. <laughs> One of the natives, uh, Brazilian natives, his name is Albino Joe, uh, and in a flashback we learn that he actually was in America at one point and worked with Detective Dan Carey. And he tries to explain uh, to Marla that the leopard skin exacts a price from the wearer. And I quote, With every favor gained through the black... With every favor gained through black magic go two misfortunes. So it becomes clear to the reader at this point that any time Marla dons the costume, she risks some backward movement, even if she does succeed in her initial goal. Now this is a different kind of idea. It's not, a, it's not often that a character will wear a, a, a superhero costume uh, and have to be prepared to feel, uh, to pay a price for it. That's something that some characters uh, in the, the magical realm, like uh, Zatanna and John Constantine, uh, you, you may know that when they use magic, there's a price to be paid. But here, this is simply wearing the costume, uh, and it, it goes hand-in-hand hand that this costume has some sort of magical uh, properties to it. So she's got the costume on to help help with this resistance, the resistance fighters. Uh, and they, uh, they, they've uncovered the plot that General Bruno has hatched for the Germans to gain a foothold in Brazil. And he's got tanks, planes, and a bunch of troops hidden in a mountain bunker that is nearly completely disguised. The resistance group has a native indigenous tribe fighting along with them, and together they go after the Nazis, and it's only marginally successful. Now, at this point, um, we're going to break off because there's still more for this in this collection that I've been reading, but uh, I want to actually talk about the collection itself, and I feel like I've left you on a cliffhanger. I guess I sort of have, so maybe you'll want to uh, go out and get yourself your own copy of this. Now, this book is called Miss Fury, Sensational Sundays, 1941-44. to It's published by IDW's Library of American Comics, and these guys have been doing a phenomenal job of preserving and keeping classic newspaper strips in the market. This volume was designed by Lorraine Turner, and it's amazing front to back, top to bottom. The design on it is great. Um, the the reproduction is, is great. Uh, and it's also got an exciting introduction by the legendary comic book artist Trina Robbins. Her introduction to the book is insightful and informative. And uh, let's take a look at some of, uh, some of it so we can expand our understanding of, of Tarpe Mills' work. Robbins points out how Mills was trying out ideas in other strips she worked on before Miss Fury. 
The Purple Zombie has the most interesting title, uh, but character names and even prototypes pop up in her pre-Miss Fury work. And for the artwork, Robbins notes that Mills' drawings... Mills' drawing was fairly crude when she began Miss Fury, but the discipline of having to meet deadlines worked worked wonders. Her art improved week by week. The now famous 1941 catfight between Marla and the Baroness is a good example. Maybe because it is, after all, such a great page and she knew it, Mills appears to have struggled to meet that higher standard in less than a year. However, Mills' art has become flawless, and it stays that way for the next seven years. In my own reading, I think this is this is definitely noticeable. It comes obvious that Mills has gained a control over her art, and is almost suddenly just as iconic as Kniff or Raymond. She maintains her own style, but at no point does one question the skill of the artist. Remember, Kniff went through a developmental period as well. And once this strip is in full swing there's no question except what's going to happen next it, the, you know it's it's laid out it's paced uh exceptionally well it it's engaging and i think it's engaging for the same reasons that uh so many other great old comics are it's because it focuses on character it's not so much about a uh you know a simple super heroics or or anything like that or flashy uh, adventure. It's, it's about these people, and not just Marla, but, you know, you come to you know, really understand and feel for the other characters and how they, uh, they're trying to get along in this uh, in the world with, with World War II and you know, all the same you know, regular aspects of life are there with uh, love interests and uh, other other problems so it's uh it's it's really it's really good stuff I, I i highly recommend it for for uh for readers who have a taste for something different now robbins also addresses the character develop, development of marla drake uh and interestingly she says that uh marla is one that is uh d- developed uh the, the least uh, she's almost going through the strip uh, in order to facilitate the other stories she suggests that uh, Drake as the the good girl is just not as interesting as a character as the other characters who populate the strip and this is just like sort of like Will Eisner's spirit Eisner utilized his main character as a vehicle to tell stories about others and rarely is a spirit the focus or at least the focus of character development. Uh, both the spirit and Marla Drake are the heroes, the constants, and their strips become a vehicle for exploring the gray areas in life, the people who are truly mutable. It's a really interesting and innovative idea. I don't doubt that this is what Mills had in mind. Despite the fact that Marla herself is interesting and potent, the content of her character is never in question. Like the spirit, the reader knows that Marla is the, the good girl. And if we look back at Terry and the Pirates, Marla is is more like Patter Terrier Terry, with uh, ancillary characters like Burma and Normandy Drake providing the real uh, uh, the, providing the strip with characters that who can truly change. Now, of course, we see Terry grow up and develop into a man from a boy, uh, but. 
you know, he's there's never a question: is he going to be a good guy or a bad guy? There's no sort of deeper emotion, deeper questionable things. Uh, in these characters, we have uh, surprise changes, like the supporting characters in Miss Fury, most notably. And, and while the Baroness is never an angel, she, at the very least, comes across as fragile with the potential of change despite her outward show of stony constancy. I think what impresses me the most about this strip is the diversity of, of genre. In the 40s, most superhero comics were villain or criminal stories of the month, you know. You know, there, there were... There was lots of superheroing going on, but not much else. Now, maybe because it was uh, the format, but Miss Fury contains so many different elements. Like, uh, like Terry and the Pirates, it becomes more about life than just the adventures of Marla Drake. One of the aspects of Miss Fury that is interesting and different is the, uh, the sexuality portrayed in the strip. Uh, there are numerous panels of Air or Marla or the Baroness in suggestive clothing or panels suggesting no clothing even. It's, it's quite different. While Terry and the Pirates may have suggested sexual tension, Miss Fury depicts a fair amount of skin. This is, of course, something comic book readers would be familiar with. Uh, there's a whole genre of Golden Age comics that feature uh, good girl art. Perhaps that's an episode in and of itself. Uh, but more, more to the point, Mills in a strip from 1947 depicted Marla in a bikini, uh, resulting in 37 newspapers dropping the strip in response. I would say in the early days there are four more escape panels even than uh, a woman in a bikini. Um, let's talk about good girl art uh, for a minute. Um, good girl art is an artistic style that presents provocative depictions of women. There are numerous examples of the Golden Age, but we get a bit of it with Miss Fury. Uh, though there are certainly more severe, I say severe, more exaggerated examples. How about that? One need look no further than Bill Ward's Torchy uh, for perhaps the, uh, the, the, the pinnacle of this. Uh, however, Phantom Lady, a character that listeners might be more familiar with, uh, certainly uh, a character that was part of this. Check out the work of the legendary Matt Baker on the character in the 50s. And uh, as I said, this is probably a, uh, an episode in and of itself that I could cover, so that's something to think about. Uh, it's important to note that Miss Fury contains uh, elements of that. There, there's no denying it. There's uh, a, a high degree of uh, sexuality in, in the book, in the strip, you know, depicting uh, the character, uh, uh, the women characters, uh, uh, provocatively with uh, some sexual undertones, and clearly, you know, we've got uh, storylines here with uh, romance, and you know, it doesn't take long to uh, get adults thinking that well, if there's romance, there's going to be some sex too eventually. Uh, now. One of the strange things about this is that it also goes the, the other way. Uh, Mills uh, also produced paper dolls for Marla that were available for three cents. Uh, uh, you could uh, send in a... Uh, it was uh, in the bottom panel of a, of a Sunday page. You could send in uh, three cents and, and get uh, paper dolls sent out to you from the... Uh, from the newspaper syndicate. This was offered in February 1943, and of course, the basic paper doll is a woman in her underwear. That's kind of uh, ironic. 
The request that Mills received for paper dolls is intriguing. This means that a lot of girls or women are reading the strip. Uh, and it also shows that Mills was aware of fashions and the day. Now, this immediately makes me think of Alex Raymond's strip, Rip Kirby. This strip will get uh, an episode of its own at some point. But just, just to mention that Raymond was also aware of fashion and incorporated it into the strip. Now, of course, these weren't Raymond's fashions on Mongo from Flash Gordon, but contemporary fashions in the 50s and they played a big role in the look of uh, Rip Kirby so we mentioned earlier that this uh, this Miss Fury run was a, uh, a Sunday only page uh, and Trina Robbins in the in the introduction does also mention that there was a a test strip for a daily that, as far as can be determined, was ever produced or published. Uh, but they have a, 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 rep- a reproduction of a, of a test strip. However, Miss Fury did have a life beyond the Sunday pages to an extent. Timely Comics, who of course became Marvel later on, published Miss Fury in her own self-titled comic from winter 42-43 to winter 46. It was published twice a year. This comic reprinted the Sunday pages. This is a testament to the popularity and the innovation of the strip. It lasted for a few years, but because it was twice yearly, there weren't a lot of issues. But it's pretty interesting to think that Miss Fury was collected this early. Like other characters that we discussed on this show, Miss Fury would make appearances in the modern age. The Miss Fury concept is revived and reimagined with some callbacks to the original series in 1991 by Adventure Comics, a Malibu Comics imprint, as Marlene Hale dresses up for Halloween and saves a young girl from a drug dealer. Uh, we are introduced to this version of Miss Fury. This survivor plays upon the Black Fury, Miss Fury, misdirection, who is Black Fury, etc., and then who is Miss Fury. Uh, she would appear in several titles by Malibu throughout the 90s. In 2008, she has a cameo appearance in Marvel Comics 12. Then in 2012, like so many other characters, uh, Golden Age characters in public domain, she ends up at Dynamite as part of their Pulp Heroes crossover, Masks. Now, it's interesting. I don't recall her in that series at all. I now, I now question how much have I read of it. I know I read at least the first couple issues, I think, but I don't really recall anything about it. And uh, that's kind of, it's kind of weird. I usually have a good memory for things I've read, you know, no matter, uh, no matter what it is. Uh, I of course remember the Project Superpowers that involved the original Daredevil uh, that we spoke about in in that episode, but. I don't remember her in masks at all, but to move on, uh, after her appearance in masks, uh, she gets her own series, and we're going to take a look at the first volume, and it's called Anger is an Energy. Now, the first thing that should be noted about this volume is that, unlike the dynamite version of the Golden Age Daredevil, which tried to fit in aspects of the character's original continuity, Miss Fury, uh, in this case, is truly a reimagining of the character. There are some basics that carry over, but it's clearly not the same Miss Fury. The writer Rob Williams includes this as the original pitch, which is included uh, in this collected edition, stating that this is a new origin for Marla Drake. Uh, it's a little disappointing. I was really hoping that it would be a clever bit of continuity, but, you know, in no way does that mean this isn't a good comic, because actually, once I was able to get beyond that, this, this series was quite good. It's very good, actually. Um, surprisingly, uh, good and, and certainly different. Uh, now, 
it does retain certain themes and elements from the original, however. It does play, take place in 1940s New York City, and, and Marla is a socialite. She does have a leopard costume obtained in Africa, but instead of it being a gift from her uncle, she went to Africa and obtained it from a group of Maasai in a ritual that supposedly transferred the powers of the leopard to her after she killed it. There's a strong element of sexuality in the series, much like the original, but with a modern sensibility, of course. And for the most part, it works. The one element that doesn't quite fit is that Marla is cast as a bored socialite who uses her powers to be a cat burglar. Williams does use this to develop his main theme, What Do You Care About? What do you love enough to fight for? What makes you angry, and how do you use that to accomplish change? Thus the title, Anger is an Energy. So the emotional uh, arc that Marla is going through here is she's bored, she doesn't really seem to care about anything, uh, which leads her to this life of, uh, you know, theft, and that gives her something to do that makes things interesting and dangerous for her. Uh, but it's once uh, she falls into the, 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 the action in the story, which is actually about time-traveling Nazis attempting to win World War II in the future, 2010, when the series was published. It sounds a little odd, but it actually has a number of clever twists. I do recommend this series, even if it isn't the same Marla Drake. There are things that will be familiar, but there is clearly a modern sensibility about it. Uh, the art by Jack Herbert is really good. He maintains that sexuality and sex appeal that has been part of Miss Fury from the beginning, and he does a nice job with some of the more complex action, action sequences, which require Miss Fury to do a lot of acrobatics. In Williams' pitch, he calls it a modern action blockbuster, and he's right. It feels just like that. Uh, it wouldn't be hard to translate this uh, directly to the screen. Alright, um, I'd like to wrap up now saying how much I enjoyed learning about this character. I'm a sucker for newspaper strips and Mystery is is a great strip. Uh, I need to get the second second volume, but oddly enough the second volume came up before the first volume and the second volume seems more difficult to track down, so I'm on the look for that one. Uh, I'm a sucker for newspaper strips and Mystery is a great strip. There's just there's just so much in it, and that's consistent. That's consistent with uh, the great newspaper strips. Uh, they require a different kind of writing and plotting than regular comic books, and certainly uh, the standard comic book story of the time. I hope you enjoyed learning about this as much as uh, I did. Uh, the character and her creator, Tarpe Mills. Uh, next episode, we're going to be coming up on my younger daughter's 18th birthday. So for her birthday, I'm doing something special. Uh, for the next for the next episode, her favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film is Captain America: The First Avenger. So, what I'm going to do is we're going to look back at the first appearance of the character in Captain America Comics number one, with a complete examination and read through, as well as a quick analysis of how well the MCU film translate the or, translates the translated the origin of the Star Spangled Hero to the silver screen from his first appearance. I hope you'll. All join me for that in two weeks. And of course, as always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.